Today's episode is sponsored by Amy Heisey, specializing in beautiful watercolor, Catholic art, and portraits. Prints and stickers of her artwork are available for sale through her Etsy shop, Amy Heisey Art. You can find the link in our show notes, by the way. You can also find her on Instagram for a behind-the-scenes look at how her paintings are created. Raw Storytellers podcast listeners can get 10% off their order with the code RUA. 10. This episode of Rua Storytellers is also brought to you by Catholic Body Image Coach and Rua co-founder Amanda Martinez-Beck. If you've struggled to embrace the body God gave you, or if your inner critic can't stop criticizing your body, Amanda can help. Rua listeners can get 20% off their first session by using the link in the show notes and on our webpage. Thank you for supporting these incredible Catholic businesses, listeners. Here is today's story. Paige Ryan is a designer, former HGTV host, author, speaker, mother to four, and convert to the Catholic faith and not necessarily in that order. She is chiefly interested in the intersection of the home and our personal path to holiness. Her first book, Love the House You're In, out of Roost Books in March 2016, encouraged readers to treat their homes as sacred spaces to express who they really are and to nourish their families. She lives in Maryland with her husband, Francis, and their children. She can be found on Instagram at Paige Ryan and on Facebook at Love the House you're in. Listeners, we ask that you sit with us, pray with us, and learn with us as we listen to Paige's story of faith on our shared journey to the cross. So would you be willing to tell your conversion story to the ladies in the parish? I could hear my friend and our Bible study coordinator, Julie, asking me over the phone. Here it is, I thought. (laughs) I had imagined this moment in my mind. I knew it was coming. I knew I had to say yes as well. This was a request from God. I had recently come into the Catholic Church at the tender age of 43, and many of my friends knew that I had been in recovery. Some knew I had stories and issues, but (laughs) that was about it. Nobody in our relatively affluent, slightly Truman Show-like community knew the whole deal. Connecting the dots on my 20-year-long conversion journey wouldn't be easy or tidy or flattering. But God knew that my story could possibly be used for good. He knew, as did I, that stories can turn the lights on for someone else who's lost in their darkness. And even if I wanted to say no, I learned in my first church, the church basements, when I went to my first 12-step meetings, that being of service is healing, and you don't say no when you're asked to be of service. Okay, I'll do it, I told my friend. In the weeks between okay, I'll do it and the talk itself, I was quite lost. I was lost in my my own story, parts of which are very painful to revisit. Lost in fear of revealing myself, lost in anxiety that I didn't know what God wanted me to share in the talk. My story's long, and I had a lot to say, but what was going to be the light part? Could I do it, possibly, Lord, without revealing too much about myself? Could I do it and still look people in my tight-knit community in the eye afterwards? You know, Paige, you don't have to tell all the gory details, a well-meaning friend suggested. But the gory details are my story. I so wish I could tell people that I met Mother Teresa in the fourth grade and she touched my hand, or that I had turned to God in my own free will in my troubles, but that's not my story. My story is that I ran away from God 
or and that I didn't believe in God or and that I hated God. <laughs> Was I even Christian? Who knew and who cared? I would only accept help from a completely anonymous, amorphous, churchless, surrealist God of my own design. That's the person God came to heal nonetheless. And he has given me more and more courage to tell the truth. But this was going to be a revealing talk. I would have to talk about ravaging my body with self-destructive eating, starving, drinking, prescription drug-taking, self-harm, abusive relationships. I had to paint the picture of what it looked like when I depended on myself, when I tried to answer my longings and my profound hunger for God with everything but God himself. I had to talk about what it was like when I did everything I could to fill a God-sized hole. I imagined what that room would be like that night, the night of the talk. There would be rows and rows of perfect women. They would be perfectly small, put together, and Catholic. They would come and cross their legs and raise their eyebrows and think, oh, wow. They would be embarrassed for me. I would ugly cry through my story of surviving an eating disorder and almost drinking myself to death, and it would be like a bad lifetime movie for all of us. In preparing for this talk, I saw this scene over and over again. I became convinced that I was a fraud, that my suffering and my healing wasn't real. Maybe that my story was bullshit, that I had no place even in the church, that no one cared or would listen. God, why have you asked me to do this? One day, I saw a quote from St. Augustine as I scrolled through Instagram. Lord, in my deepest wound, I saw your glory, and it dazzled me. Those words changed me. My deepest wound, the wound of addiction, compulsion, self-destruction, rendered me unable to go on without God's help. A surrender to him and a path forward with him was my only way out. It had not been easy, and for decades it was a secret way. But I was now asked to share it. Maybe it could help make a way for someone else. Finally, the night of the talk arrived. My friend Julie, who had asked me to do the talk, sent me to the Adoration Chapel as soon as I got there. She either saw the look of terror on my face, I think I was blue, or could hear my heart beating inside my chest. Please, Lord, speak through me. Please calm my heart. I thought of my favorite church hymn, Here I Am, Lord, which says, I will go, Lord, if you lead me. A lot of beautiful and very perfect women did come that night. Friends and strangers, neighbors, my sister-in-law, my kids' teachers. I can remember the room filling up and women gathering more chairs for another room. Women coming in late, women waiting patiently for me to speak. More and more women. I kept speaking to the Lord, asking him to carry me and speak through me. I started out by telling everyone that I would rather be the gynecologist or stick my hand in the garbage disposal than do what I was about to do, which was true. And I thought about running out of the room, hurtling myself over some of those beautiful women sitting in chairs, and I told them that too. But soon after that, the words flowed, and I found myself unbound to the podium and quite free in telling my story. I was able to experience a grace in telling a story about a very dark time that was well behind me. In many ways, I began to delight my own story as I had rediscovered it. I did tell some ugly details, some very humbling lows, like what happens when you're balancing the demands of bulimia and binge drinking. I told those ladies that I have been a million sizes, that my body was both confused and injured, and would sometimes spontaneously vomit without my consent, even mid-sentence. That I still suffer from the same brokenness today, I just have better tools, and a relationship with God to walk through it without hurting myself. Then I got to talk about how God led me to healing in the only way I would have said yes to him, in a very slow, very anonymous, very gentle way. I got to talk about how God revealed his son to me in the most uncanny and patient way over the following two decades. God had written my story so well, 
I appreciated it as I told it, and I experienced gratitude for God's healing. Of course, it couldn't be a secret. How I came into the church is entertaining and a true testament to the fact that God is pursuing all of us all the time, no matter where we are. About a year into recovery, God sent me a lapsed Catholic boyfriend, Francis, who happened to be from a devout family, who I later married. I spent a long time thinking Francis's family was very weird. <laughs> now, I consider my in-laws to be some of my greatest teachers. My husband and I share a love of adventuring, and we found ourselves randomly on an adventure <laughs> in Medjugorje. We were in Croatia, and we stumbled upon one of the most famous Catholic pilgrimage sites in the world. Yeah, what a random circumstance. I would then, by chance, find Father Robert Barron before he became a bishop in his earth-shattering Catholicism series in the middle of the night on PBS, no less, while breastfeeding my babies. Bishop Barron was the first person to actually educate me on the person of Jesus, and my mind was blown. Then, a few years later, I heard Sister Miriam James Heidlin tell her story of 12-step recovery and healing the feminine genius at my own parish, and I ugly cried the whole time. I knew getting up from that seat that night that my conversion was a living, breathing thing, and I could no longer ignore it. As I worked through preparation for my talk, I found myself quite moved in another truth that came to the surface. God was, in fact, asking me to do this very tough thing because he wanted me to be of service. Yes. He wanted me to bring light to others. Yes. But there was something else. He knew where I was spiritually and physically at the time of asking. He knew that in telling my story, I would put my eyes back on where I had been, on my brokenness, which still plagued me, and I would realize the work I still have to do. He knew, as only a good father would, that I had to go back to 12-set meetings somehow, which I had left in the business of raising my four children, thinking, I don't need those anymore. Yes, you do, sweetheart, he said. As only the most loving, loving father could know, he knew I needed the tools he created for me as much today as I did 20 plus years ago. He also wanted me to trust the path I was on by looking closely at our journey together. My talk cemented for me that I have a rightful place in the pew. Not because I try not to miss mass or because I completed the year-long RCIA program or because I send my kids to Catholic school. I'm Catholic because I need God desperately in the most profound and deep way. I can never turn my back on that need again. That's the lesson of my brokenness and the life source of my faith, a clear understanding of my weakness, which is reiterated and relearned for me in every Mass and in every 12-step meeting. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. I wait for the centurion's words at every mass. They're my words. And I feel myself laying down my own weakness and absorbing just a little bit of God's goodness precisely when those words are said. And nothing is impossible for God. This is what the gospel tells us. But also, nothing I have now in my life would have been remotely possible without God and a complete dependence on him. <laughs> That's why I'm Catholic. That's why I did the talk. And I will continue to say yes if asked again to share my story. God with skin on is a term we use in 12-step meetings often to describe people who lead and guide because of their openness about their faith and their journey. God is asking me to do this for others. I hear you, Lord. Okay, I'll do it. And I know you'll guide me.
Carol Houselander. By your heaviness and fear of Gethsemane, comfort the oppressed and those who are afraid. By your loneliness facing the passion while the apostles slept, comfort those who face evil alone while the world sleeps. By your persistent prayer in anguish of anticipation, strengthen those who shrink from the unknown. By your humility, Lord, taking the comfort of angels, give us grace to help and to be helped by one another and in one another to comfort you, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> 